0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime prevention and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. Co-host Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. On today's podcast, we have featured guest Abraham Gonzalez of Bloomingdale's who will discuss hacked online profiles, distribution of compromised data, general online safety tips, and much more. We would like to thank Bosch for making this podcast possible. The security of your data is just as important as a storage safeguard, making it imperative to consider both physical and cybersecurity simultaneously. Bosch's system approach maximizes data security by covering all major elements of the video infrastructure. This strategy is the key to achieving the highest standards in end-to-end data security. Learn more about Zone 5 of the LPRC's Zones of Influence or by visiting BoschSecurity.com. All right, welcome
1: everybody to another episode of Crime Science uh, from the Loss Prevention Research Council. Uh, and again, a reminder, LPRC is a uh, research and results community um, that continues to grow. I think we're approaching 60 uh, retail chains, uh, including some international members uh, with many, many more expressing very strong interests. So the community continues to grow. Uh, but I want to welcome everybody, everybody here today to Crime Science, the podcast. Uh, again, introduce uh, our host, our co-host here, Tom Meehan uh, from Control Tech. Uh, we've also got Abe Gonzalez uh, from Bloomingdale's. Um, so, Tom, I'm going to go over to you and uh, kind of get your initial takes and set up and context, if you will, sir.
2: Thanks, Reed. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, this is our ninth episode. We're happy to have everybody uh, listening. Please uh, take the time to subscribe to the podcast. And if you will, leave us a rating. We're obviously always looking for feedback, but wherever you subscribe, whether it's through the Apple iTunes, the Google Play Store, or the Stitcher mobile app, please just take a few moments to like and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps uh, get our listenership out there. Uh, Abraham and I uh, worked together in multiple capacities in the past. So it's, it's always exciting to have a guest that I know personally. And um, what I wanted to talk to Abraham today about and read is really some of the trends in fraud uh, related to credit card fraud in store and also online, as well as some of the cyber elements that in retail, uh, we sometimes talk about but don't really get into the full detail, especially related to loyalty programs and online programs. Uh, so Ava, I just wanted to welcome you to the show. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what your role is with Bloomingdale's?
3: Well, thank you for having me, Tom. I'm a fraud mitigation manager for our organization. on um, I'm tasked with really identifying where we have fraud exposure in our organization currently, and coming up with programs to mitigate that exposure. Um, my a fraud encompasses uh, the umbrella of fraud is all encompassing uh, under my role. Uh, we I deal with anything from um, loyalist uh, or proprietary uh, in-house rewards program and fraud related to that, to third-party and proprietary uh, credit card fraud. So it, it's uh, a little bit of everything. My background is tradition in investigations. I've uh, kind of done a, a little bit of everything in, in the asset protection field, and this is where I'm sitting now for our organization.
2: Great. So our listeners are abroad, and, and we, we're learning more and more that it's not all retail listeners. There's law enforcement, academia, and then just general folks that want to learn about some of the things that are happening. Uh, in your current role, uh, if you have to pick, what are the two or three uh, hot trends or things that are that are really happening regularly today related to, you know, the ecom
3: world or the fraud world. Um, we're seeing a we're seeing a, a rise of um, uh, folks using reverse engineering techniques to really, uh, you know, get merchandise uh, from a company, steal merchandise from a company, uh, trick companies into uh, taking margin loss. Um, we're seeing a very uh, we're seeing an into, uh, uptick rather in um, Stolen loyalist uh, rewards and and, and third-party bad actors uh, kind of impacting, um, you know, th- that part of our business. We're also seeing a, a rise in uh, third-party and proprietary or private-label credit card fraud at, um, at, you know, across the industry, really. Um, I, I'm a member of a couple of uh, different uh, committees. Uh, one of them is with the LPRC. Um, In organized retail crime, specifically, we've seen a a rise in in the use of credit cards, uh, stolen credit cards, uh, impacting loyalty loyalty programs. And, uh, you know, just uh, there's just a very creative element out there that uh, we're kind of facing these days. And it's all in the scope of fraud.
2: When you speak about loyalty, what's a a common way that folks are compromising loyalty accounts?
3: So what we see, there's a recent trend of uh, loyalty or customer-specific profiles being targeted by uh, fraudsters, uh, bad actors kind of getting in there, uh, stealing reward cards, stealing different benefits that we afford to our good customers, um, and, and repurposing them for uh, everything from criminal activity to uh, just uh, you know using the merchandise, selling it, and, and profiting from it. Um, so I, I've definitely seen a trend increase in uh, or, or, or loyalty fraud being something that's uh been increasing trend these days um, and when I say loyalty I mean any type of reward program that a company might have um, if a company offers a percent off or, or a dollar off, a couple of dollars off or even gift cards for uh, you know for someone's loyalty uh, our fosters are definitely taking advantage of those opportunities to uh, you know to, to recoup money and use that money to commit fraud.
2: Can you briefly just share with the listeners what a, what is a common way that someone would attack a profile and how long does it take
3: so so it's interesting uh, uh and a and a big part of this industry is uh or, or or reading about this type of activity and getting to know this type of activity is to understand that it's not sophisticated and it's very quick so we have our um our average or uh, uh, safe to say a fraudster who's impacting uh company pro uh, the loyalty programs is typically using a very amateur tools they're um they're using uh, freeware, uh, online readily available software uh, to, and, and typically it's a combination of something like an IP spoofer uh, to be able to anonymize yourself and, and change your location, um, a list of already compromised uh, email addresses and passwords, and then finally uh, a, a brute force program or something that could uh, try logging into your, to your uh, online profile, your loyalist, or your uh, your Your company rewards incentive profile by trying uh, multiple different uh username and passwords until they finally get into one of those profiles. so it's as simple as someone sitting behind a computer for um anywhere between thirty seconds and and half an hour uh, to obtain twenty two hundred profiles uh, a couple of hundred profiles and and you know and, and the purpose of that is really to, for that, that actor, and it depends what they wanna do with the information, uh, they're either looking for uh, your, your, your name, your address, some um, credit card information, or they're using what's already available in those profiles, whether it be a loyalty pro, pro, profile or customer profile, uh, to then shop. Um, and the name of the game is is uh, just like anything. They're they're either shopping because they it's for personal gain, or they're they're uh, they're selling the merchandise on the black market, on more steel or more seal fencing it off.
2: So, and based on your experience, have you seen an increase in this activity? It, you know, is there a time frame that it, it is changing, or is this just been steadily happening?
3: Um, we're seeing, uh, you know, based on my experience, we're seeing a more elevated. Uh, uh, element when it comes to, or, or rather we're, we're seeing more folks get involved with this type of, uh, this type of activity. Um, as you can imagine, when something is easy and it's, and someone's kind of figured out a way to, to, to uh, profit off of a company, it, it's going to, the, the word, the news is going to travel. So um, I, I frequent online forums, uh, both on the deep web and on the clear net. And um, we, we kind of, um, or, or from my organization, I kind of, you know, I kind of lurk at these forums and I read and and really try to understand how this, with kind of the explosion of social media and and um and the way we communicate, how that word of mouth travels. And what we're seeing is, um, if if you go to any and it's called carding, any carding forum on the internet, there's a uh, there's someone on there um, offering either services in order to uh. Uh, acquire again personal information credit cards or loyalty information from one of the companies that they offer services for or there's folks that are educating others on how to do this um and again it it takes uh it takes everyone kind of uh taking the approach of understanding that um this industry is ever evolving um there's uh, whatever we're learning um we have someone out there we have a we're we're facing a, a bunch of folks that are also learning uh to exploit and and kind of you know, get around whatever measures we put in place.
2: So, I just have two more questions, and they're kind of a dual question. And then I'll turn it over to Reed. Uh, but the, this is this is a kind of a, a dual question in the sense of, you know, what 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 type of things can a company do to mitigate the activity? And then the second portion of that is, you know, how does the customer, the end user, protect themselves?
3: So. A company needs to really have all the right partners in place when they're coming out with a new uh, a new initiative or where they're when they're talking through um, items that uh, boost profit and, and and you know and result in and better sales performance. Um, I think the important part of having that conversation, and getting those initiatives ready, is really looping in some of our um, IT, um, our asset protection partners, our law enforcement partners, whoever it might be, to give insight on what vulnerabilities might actually be there um companies should be very aware of um of the way our our customers interact with our uh, profiles if they notice that there's an increase in activity involving uh a fraudsters we should not only look at those folks as individuals but see where the exposure point is in our uh, in our profiles in our accounts and so forth um a lot of companies can easily solve these problems with um with things like terror capture and uh and 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 two-stage verification um and so forth it's just a matter of being aware of it speaking about it and having the right people in the room when they're having these conversations and i'm sorry tom you had another question
2: yeah from the from the customer side and i think you answered some of it is if you're a customer end user are there some simple things that you can do to protect yourself
3: yeah absolutely um your passwords uh make sure you have different passwords for different accounts so that if uh one account is compromised. Uh, if there's an event with, with um, a company that you um, that you use that password with, um, it, your information is not readily out there. I, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, there's no secret there's been a couple of different and it's ugly word, but breaches in um, in, in different industries. Um, if your password was impacted and, and you had a profile with one of those companies, um, the the a typical user will have the same the same password for all their accounts. That list is on the internet somewhere. It's on a, on a paste bin. Uh, or a forum and and that 's readily available, so I think the most important part is actually really, really making sure that you have a password locker, you have different passwords um you don 't put things on the internet that you don 't want public. Um, be conscious of what your security questions are and what kind of information it takes to get into your profile and and make an extra effort to uh, make sure that you uh, you throw off um, any possibility that someone can get into these profiles. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, just that alone, I think, would uh, mitigate a lot of these issues or some of these issues. All
1: right. I really appreciate that. That's good insight uh, uh, into the issues, and we appreciate that, Abraham uh, and Tom. And, you know, I, I think to put things in context, we've, we've heard, and, and like you said, it's, it's a pretty scary word, breach. Uh, uh, whether it's of mass data from an individual organization or corporation, and then, as you've mentioned also, it, uh, us as individual citizens or account holders. Um, Abe, is there anything you could mention or discuss around you know n- Netflix or Facebook or LinkedIn type of uh, uh, breaches of an individual's account or a takeover of that account? Is there anything... Uh, that you might share in that area, or where we might look for for more information on that.
3: Oh, absolutely. If you're a victim of one of those profile breaches, um, uh, unfortunately, that information is already out there. Once that information is out there, you really have to do a better job at controlling, um, you know, that that information that's already out there, not uh, and come up with with new information of, uh, to to, uh, to to put out there uh, for for the. Uh, you know, make sure that your passwords are different again, make sure that you maybe you start changing your usernames, uh, you set up something, uh, you set up a, a alerting to see if someone's opening accounts under your name, you have to take the proactive approach um, at, at really stopping this activity once there's a, a, an event like that. So we do see a spike in all types of fraud when an event occurs. Um, uh, at, at my company when uh, when we know another company's been uh, ha- had a major event uh, we we expect or, or I tend to see a, a spike in, in both credit card fraud and, and, and profile breaches and and those type of events so it's a matter of just really um, understanding what's going on um, and really just making sure that you control whatever information you have um, it's a password but um, I mean that's uh, that's a, it's as simple as that folks are are acquiring username and passwords. And then once you have one, you can try that on every website under the moon and see if it matches up. And, you know, it's as simple as that. That's how our folks are getting into our loyalty profiles.
1: Interesting. And and I was relating to our team during our, uh, we have a weekly team meeting where we go over what we're up to and what we're headed into. Um, And we were talking about a family member of mine that over the weekend um, in New York city, uh, her uh, purse was taken, of course her iPhone was taken and the individual was able to not only take the iPhone but to take over her i iPhone account or Apple account. Um, and then when she went to shut it down or do anything, then Apple uh, evidently related to her, this is not your account, this is who the account holder is and so forth so. Any thoughts on preventing that type of a situation or trying to manage and recover uh, for our listeners out there if they are confronted with something like this? uh, You know, how do we prevent it if there's some options there uh, that you're aware of? And then again, how how do we handle that? I mean, now you're wandering the streets of New York. You have no way to communicate. And even when you finally can, uh, the account uh, holder says, I'm sorry, but I don't show this as your account. You don't have the right codes and passwords and information you
3: know i i've read a couple of articles related to this type of um a phone theft and it, it's I, I know there's a a couple of different uh, police departments out there that have written articles on this and there's information on the internet um when it comes uh, to your 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 phone and, and your information on your phone you want to make sure that again that your phone's always locked um that you know you have a password that's actually strong um You know, when when, uh, if you go down the list of folks that had their uh, cell phones taken and accounts taken over, it's as simple as, again, uh, folks uh, looking at the phone, typing in the number one numerous times, the number two numerous times, uh, just trying to guess through a password. Um, iPhones are pretty secured, uh, so are Samsung phones, I, I know that they're hard to get So It's usually lack of uh, having a password. And then if you're faced with that kind of situation, you just need to gather all your billing statements. You gather your, anything you have, if you can still log into the account, make sure that you change your password immediately. Um, your personal iPhone or 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 uh, or, or whatever account, uh, whatever service provider you use uh, as a, a mobile service provider. And make sure that you know you're able to go into your profile, make sure that you change your password immediately. That you contact, um, you know, you contact the appropriate uh, representatives at those companies, and and have all your evidence. Have you know I I bought this phone. Here's my statement. Um, they're pretty good at tracking MEI numbers and and unique identifiers for these uh for these devices. Um, I I think again the big part is reacting to this very quickly and 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 you know and, and just making sure that preventatively you have you're very careful, and you take every security measure that's suggested to you, including locking your phone.
1: That's good. And you mentioned uh, passwords, and um, you know I've read some articles where they've tried to conduct some research. Random, uh, as we know, mixing numbers and letters and other symbology. Uh, uh, others recommend long terms and different terms uh, combined rather than using random or what you think is random, because we're, we're actually not able to come up with something that's really random. Um, any thoughts or anything from you? And, and also go to Tom on, on some of my questions as well, Tom, you may have some expertise, but I'll start with you, Abe, and then, and then maybe to Tom thoughts on passwords.
3: Absolutely. You you, you want a combination of uppercase, lowercase letters. It's what you've heard before. Um, you want uh, special characters. Um, you want the you want your password to be a, a certain length, uh, six or more, eight uh, letters or characters. Um, and the reason for that is, depending on the type of, um, uh, of uh, the, the person, the sophistication of the program, or the person that's trying uh, to get into your um, to your account, um, they're they're either gonna they're they're not going to spend much time attempting to uh, to get into an account that's uh, you know that's well protected knowing that there's so many out there that aren't um, the program becomes, programs that do this type of thing become more sophisticated again they they, they have better algorithms um, but the reality is our average um, the average person that's going to try to impact one of these profiles is using very simple measures they're just they have a list of usernames and passwords that they known that they know are previously uh, compromised and they they use that so, you know, the 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 more uh, complex, uh, the better. Um, I would always, uh, I would always kind of go with whatever the uh, that provider or that website provider or profile provider recommends. And typically, when you're setting up a password, they tell you, you know, the uppercase, lowercase characters, um, and and special characters.
1: That's good insight, Tom. Any, yeah, anything to add, Tom?
3: Yeah, this is something that
2: I actually do today. And you know, as the chief information security officer, we Offer a lot of professional services to folks both in banking and retail, and uh, there's really two schools of thought, and there is actually a lot of research behind this. There are a lot of studies, university studies around passwords and the future of passwords, and uh, depending on which which uh, study you read, there's some varying of how long passwords be around. But I think there's a couple easy things that pe- everybody can do uh, today, and one is. Uh, And I know Abe mentioned this before, is if you create a password, regardless of the complexity of the password, you use that password for Gmail, for instance, you can only use that password for Gmail. You can't reuse passwords. You have to make sure that you you have different passwords for everything. And that centers around if there's a breach of one uh, thing like Netflix and your Netflix password is your password for Chase. Your password for Gmail, your password for other things. This allows hackers very easily, uh, with almost no skill set, to get into your accounts, and they follow these breaches. Uh, pre, you know, there's there's a lot of talk now in the last six to eight weeks, even where studies have come out where randomized uh, passwords by humans don't exist. And read, you mentioned that we don't have the capability to truly make a randomized password uh there are a lot of both free and paid services uh like password vaults that allow you to use password generators that are random the benefit there is they're very difficult passwords they're generally long um the, the ben- that's the benefit the the challenge there is that they're not passwords that people can people can easily remember so uh one of the biggest things with anything in security both physical or cyber is if you make it too difficult people will uh, you know out of human nature find ways to cut corners to make it easier for themselves so if you're using a password vault like a 1Password uh, or, any, or any of the other ones out there that are commercially available all of them have password generators that's a great way to do it it's not the most convenient way to do it. Um, if you're if you think about the two schools of thought with random characters where so Abe talks about uppercase special characters uh, one of the, the the newer studies is suggesting phrasing in passwords and non-common phrasing. So, you would see a password that says dogs. It would it would literally be dogs, son, eat, chicken, one. There that those are long, very long, but allow people to remember them. And so, phrased passwords are becoming uh, a lot more common today. But it can't be common phrases because could the the algorithms out there will find a, a common phrase, but when you use a completely non-common phrase, um, that is what, what researchers are starting to study because the length of the password is actually what has the most protection method when it's non-characteristic. So, you know, to break that all down, I think for me, the the th- three real things I would say is, length of password is very important. If you can mix a phrased password with some upper, lowercase, in- special uh, symbols, that's a really great one. And then the one that uh, we don't often talk about and we kind of forget is most providers today offer two-factor authentication for free. Every single banking does it, every single social media platform does it. And what two-factor does, while it's not foolproof, is when you have a really strong password, there's another another two-step or two-factor verification, whether you'd receive a text message with a code whether you have a code sent to an email. While this isn't a full-proof uh, application, it does and will prevent um, someone for, from using a brute force attack or things like that because it requires another step. The other thing that two-step or two-factor is really good for is if someone is trying to attempt to get into your account, you'll get that text message or email, so you'll have an early warning that it's happening. Um, I. I know this is a long-winded answer, so I'll stop with that, but I do think in the future you're going to see very much how you saw in banking and fingerprint reading that you're going to start to see other ways to authenticate because uh, passwords time and time again are the cause and generally the underlining factor that leads to breaches and compromises.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for that, Tom. And. Um, and I know more of us, even on our phones, are having this biometric option. And again, uh, any research on comparing, you know, facial recognition built in your phone versus a long, long terms and and so on that are not meaningful other than to you, uh, as versus again these random digits or so called random. Any any quick thoughts on that, and we'll move on.
3: Yeah, Tom's having issues. Well, while Tom works on that. I'll give I'll, I'll, I'll give uh, I'll some perspective on. Uh, biometrics. I, I think the uh, the shift from using fingerprint um, authentication and and using uh you know your your image or um, you know using that technology to identify if that's you on your phone when logging in or when making a purchase, uh, it, it, it's uh, it's it's a step in the right direction. Um, what we have to remember is that what's always going to be defeated first is the older technology. So we have to get away from um, companies need to get away from using. Uh, very basic uh passwords and start using it's uh, a tom's note um two-stage verification uh re capture and, and and you know images to verify um it, it, you know that you're not a bot and so forth um and then kind of going forward uh i, I think the technology the fingerprinting and, and the different type of myometrics um will uh, certainly uh be something that helps until um and so there's a catch-up and then we and then we might have to uh, go through a uh, two-step biometric verification and so forth but um if you're if you're uh it, it, what's what's the advantage we have by creating new um uh ways to secure our profiles is that the fraudster is always going to go for what's easiest so they're always going to go for uh your you know your regular uh easy to uh your, your profiles based on uh the information that they already have or, or a password generator or a brute force attack um, so you know, we we as long as we keep advancing and changing things, uh, we we those folks are always kind of uh, uh, those bad actors are always going to go for whatever's easy, not for what's new and what's hard.
1: Fantastic. And I I wanted to kind of switch gears a little bit and ask you. Uh, how are some of the customers in your stores or others stores, uh, victimized in that store while they're during, uh, or during their shopping adventure, uh, how might they be victimized? What are some ways that can happen to them and ways of course that they can prevent that, that type of, uh, uh, theft probably that leads to breach and, uh, and then all the problems that result.
3: So, uh, first thing, you have to be aware of your surroundings. I mean, we have, um, you know, when, when you see an associate uh, uh, ringing your transactions, be conscious of what kind of information you give someone. Um, do they really need all the information you're giving them to ring a transaction? Um, are they writing anything down at that point of sales? Um, if you identify that you've been a victim of, um, you know, your, your profile, your, your loyalty uh, reward cards have been stolen or your, uh, your credit card has been used immediately after making a purchase, contact the retailer uh we there's asset protection teams in all all our retailers um and 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 most companies have uh teams uh and, and they're able to identify if the if you know the person at the register is the person that um you know that that was able to impact your personal uh, customer information um so it's it's being conscious of who's taking what information who's who's kind of a uh, uh know who's writing that down who's using it who's asking what questions and, and and just being very much aware of what you need to conclude a transaction um you know you don't need your source security number to uh conclude a transaction you don't so just be conscious of what you're being asked um and you know wh- how you're providing information out there
1: all right i appreciate that um so in this case um w- uh, what i wanted to ask about as well is some of these um hacking some of these uh, profile or account takeovers or at least the leveraging that theft and fraud uh, to go ahead and take advantage of what they've got. Um, How are investigators finding these people? Um, and what are some of the areas of origin of some of these hackers and account takeover fraudsters? you know what part of the world, what countries, how are they operating? And I know that's kind of a, a pretty broad question, uh, but we're really interested in understanding the forensics, how we might track them down, uh, who they are, where they're coming from. So, so
3: I think there's a combination uh, uh, of things uh, we, we and again this is from the perspective of, of the investigations i've conducted and, and folks that we've um tried or, or have gone after um we're noticing that we have a lot of uh, bad actors that are coming from overseas um uh we, we have we we were for a while seeing a lot of activity come out of spain um and um you know the the, the different you know the, that area um, we see some off, uh, south american um impact from from users that are in South America, and the only reason we know this is because those are the folks that are active on forums and and having information or or, or money uh, shipped to them or asking folks to send merchandise to their addresses. Um, but uh, it, it seems like because of the way information travels and and the way, you know, forums and communication through social media occurs, it, it, it looks like there's really a, a pretty good distribution of folks that do this kind of thing um, all over, uh, all over the United States and um, in, 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 in Asia and kind of all over the world. Um, so it, it's less important to know, um, and, and there, there's, um, you do risk um, and you have a, a disadvantage when it's someone that you can't physically touch, that you can't get the right law enforcement partners to go out and touch. But um The important thing to remember is that if you're able to identify someone in the United States, you can take action by gathering information, by uh, linking IP addresses, by linking uh, times that they might have hit your network um, with, uh, you know, with uh, folks that are talking about it on forums or or, uh, folks that are processing returns of the merchandise. And when you're having a conversation, you're able to kind of, uh, you know, uh, gather some information and and, and figure out who that person is and, and who that user is um but the the other the other piece of that is if you have someone from another country and they're impacting uh impacting you in that way you should be working with your um, your web security department to start banning IP addresses and IP ranges and, and 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 do the more sophisticated things to uh get those people out of your systems
1: All right that's good insight Tom, from your perspective too, I'll go over to Tom. Um, any suggestions you have, or anything you can relate on how to identify who these people are forensically, how to track them down, where they're coming from?
4: All right, so I think there's a. This is like the the similar conversation to anything related to ORC, and I know you, read and I always talk about ORC and where does credit cards fit in. And do people think of it as the total loss kind of say piece of it? Um, I think at the line level at the store, it's uh, going back to the basics, the, the credit card fraud folks exhibit the same behaviors as shoplifters. So you're looking for behaviors, their their shopping pattern, their behaviors in the store are different. So I think if you're talking about it from that angle, it's getting, if you are approaching a store, think of it the same way we've always thought about it and using good asset protection processes. When you get out of the store and you get into an analytics mindset you're looking for patterns and trends and you know so Abe talked a lot about the mitigation of of IP address you know and mass learning things of that nature one of the indications that I always look at is if you're in a retail environment and you have a robust analytics program you generally have a profile built on what a good customer looks like their shopping habits how often they make a visit how long they stay uh, what I've done in my past and, um, and and continue to talk to people about in the future is you when you reverse engineer that science and you say, this is what a good customer looks like, um, and you reverse engineer and apply some regression every time you talk to a fraudster, there are patterns and trends that occur. Certainly, there are trends in the type of merchandise and the quantity of merchandise. There generally are trends in uh, bin numbers and banks. There are a whole bunch of different analytics things you can do. I, I think the biggest challenge here is much like theft, there's no secret sauce. It's doing all of these things together and and trying to come up with a proactive method versus a reactive and in asset protection and loss prevention for years. Security, if you think of traditional security, is a very reactive response. Someone steals, I stop them from stealing. Someone is you know, doing something, I stop them after the fact. Credit card fraud is much the same as, how do you take steps ahead to use analytics to decline those sales to identify things? Um, And sometimes it's analytics driven, sometimes it's behavioral driven, and getting the message down to the lowest level. I know in my past, um, sometimes just, you know, just making the, the aspect of asking someone to hand you the card is enough deterrence when you're talking about a counterfeit. Uh, Instance. So, I wish uh, that I had a simple answer, but I think it's taking that you know proactive approach. And for those of the listeners that are not members of the LPRC, we have a fraud working group, and what we do in the fraud working group is we compare notes and we talk about you know different things that are working and come up with you know demonstrated best practices. And I think that's one of the biggest things that when you talk about the LPRC and the benefit of the LPRC is. You can get in a room with a whole bunch of people and say, this is a, you know, this is a demonstrated best practice. There are 10 retailers that have, have replicated it and have had a result. And sometimes that's as simple as changing an algorithm. And I'll use gift cards as an example. This is a real one. Of um, You know, three retailers said, hey, we, we learned very quickly that when a customer bought more than X amount of gift cards for this dollar amount, it, the likelihood of fraud was substantial. So we changed the threshold to not allow that. That 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 change reinforced the behavior and now caused the the bad guy, if you will, to do something differently. Uh increasing, you know, perceived risk, you know, using signage throughout the store, all of those deterrent things I think are, are really important here. And then measuring what you're doing and understanding what works. So um I, I know that again another long winded answer, but I, I think this is a topic that we could talk about for a really long time. Um I would say that while there's no one-size-fits-all, this is this is a place where I truly believe if you're in a convenience store, a gas store, a gas station, or an upscale retailer, the behaviors and the patterns are are very similar. It, it's you know coming in and buying things that are outside the norm, you know the the very rapid, the multiple buys of things that aren't normally bought, and and then developing that proactive strategy is a lot harder than just saying it. It sounds simple when we talk about it. But sometimes little things can move the needle along the way.
1: All right. I appreciate that, Tom. And, um, you know, I think what we've been talking about a little bit here today, and I know it's coming up with our retailers, is, you know, we're trying to always, always reduce theft, fraud, and violence and everything that comes from that. Uh, And a big part of that is reducing those instances, events or those crime attempts. But I think another part of this is our customers' perception. And if, if their phone, if their credit cards or other personal information was stolen, you know while they were in our stores, uh, that's something we can help them manage because, again, uh, whether it directly harms uh, the retail organization uh, is up to question. It depends on that particular situation, but it, it certainly can can in some way damage our reputation. And I think there's – so that's part of it. We want to always manage our customers' perceptions and help them uh, really feel safe and comfortable um, and at ease in the location. And, and I think by the same token, though, in an extended way – If our customers are billed by uh, our store, our company for merchandise, they never purchased, uh, but rather one or more of their accounts were hijacked, taken over, hacked. um, That's another thing. Again, it may not directly affect us or it it does, but it also can indirectly. And I want to get you all's comments on customer perception of, of theft and fraud in our stores or where they're, again, being billed by us.
3: I, I think it's. Uh, I, can I, I think it's the most important piece of, um, you know, of why we should mitigate any of these issues, no matter how big or small they are. Um, Loyalty-related reward card um, type of fraud is very, very uh, typically very small in terms of dollars for an organization, but the impact of having, you know, uh, 4,500, uh, even 10,000 customers a year uh, being impacted for anything from $10 to $25. The, the residual impact of having a customer feel like their information isn't secure is felt throughout the organization. Your, your sales start to suffer. Uh, you know, the, 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 word travels, you're going to see social media posts um, speaking to how we're unable or companies unable to secure, um, you know, a, a customer's information. So um, it, it's just really important that we keep that in mind um, that, you know, we have to make sure that we educate our uh, our customers. As soon as something happens that we, that we call them and we try to build that confidence again. That we let them know, hey, there's a, there's an issue with your profile. This is what occurred. This is how we're going to remedy it. And this is how we need you to kind of handle your information in the future. And you know, it's it's we have to remember to have a personal touch. Have our agents uh, call directly. Um, not receive, not have a customer receive a letter that says, hey, you, you there was an issue. Um, try your best to uh, reach out to your top customers, your, your those important folks, and and all your customers, and really uh, kind of express what occurred. Um, when a profile, when something happens, um, even if it's residual from a a a, a real breach, if uh, if another company is is the 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 victim of a breach, and then you start seeing as a residual effect, uh, your customers being impacted. Um, their credit cards for, again, it, it could be an a Amex, a Discover, a MasterCard, Visa card from an uh, unrelated um, issue being used at your store. The 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 act did not occur based on your security at your store, but because that victim's information is being used at your location, you need to make sure that you follow up and that you express um, how we're going to do a better job uh, at securing that information and what they can do to protect themselves. So I think there's a there's a level of just making sure that you uh, touch with uh, you know touch base with those uh, those customers and make sure that they understand that you care as a retailer.
2: Reid, I think I think this is actually the one thing that we all know is so super important. But when we're talking about mitigation strategies and uh, the impact of fraud, it's the thing that while well, I know we think about it, sometimes we miss it and. Um one of the things in my experience and everywhere I've ever worked is when a, when a customer is impacted by fraud in any realm, identity theft, you know, account takeover, someone just steals their wallet, Um, they have an expectation, whether it's unrealistic or not, that the retailer is not going to let someone use that card or their identity. So in my past, it was often, not something you actually controlled where someone came in with a stolen credit card and the emotional impact on a customer the first thing is how could x store let this happen why didn't they ask for id why didn't they know it happened so um, oftentimes uh, credit card fraud in the legal system is viewed as a victimless crime because the customer is made whole but there is an emotional impact and uh, 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 that occurs when someone takes someone's identity or even just takes their credit card and uses it. And I can remember literally hundreds of times of getting a call where a customer was you know, infuriated that our organization would let someone use their credit card. And how could we ever let that happen? And how come we didn't stop it? Um, so I think anytime you talk about mitigation and strategies, and this is a really good tool or tip if you're looking for funding for something, Always remind everybody of the the customer that is a great customer at what, regardless of what organization, Home Depot, Walmart, Bloomingdale's, it doesn't matter, 7-Eleven. And they're a great loyal customer that shops there every day. Someone pickpockets them and uses their card at at those same retailers. And the, the immediate impact to that customer is it's now that retailer's fault as well. They should have had methods to stop it. And I know that the listeners in, in law enforcement and retail will say, well, we would have no way to know it, but that emotional impact really is something important. So I think it's a great, great point, Reed. And I think it's a great thing for everybody reminded of every day. And I know we all think about it, but remember that when someone is a victim of fraud, every touch point has a negative condensation regardless of what it is. And on the flip side, that's why when you do catch someone and you do actually stop something, you could gain a customer for life because you were the you were the stopgap, you were the person that actually got the fraud. So there's some real big benefits um, in when you achieve you know the the actual stoppage of fraud. You you not only protect the company of losses, but you now have ta- protected that customer. And I know every day we we do that uh, in the industry, but I think it's one of those things that um, should be sobering for all of us. Is that. You know, yes, we might lose a dollar, but what's the impact on that person uh, for real? Uh, and what's the emotional impact? So, uh, Reed, I'm going to turn it over to you and uh, for some final words.
1: Thank you, Tom, on that. And um, so I think with that, I really want to thank you, Abe, for, um, for coming on the uh, Crime Science Podcast today, sharing some ideas about how some of this fraud in person and online is happening, what it looks like, uh, a few ways that we might prevent the problem, and then a little bit about what's going on in the investigations. Um, And again, I want to encourage all of our retailer uh, practitioners out there and those in law enforcement that are addressing the issue. uh, And I know Tom hit on this and that the LPRC's – uh, retail Fraud Working Group as well as the Organized Retail Crime Working Groups are both addressing what's going on here as well as uh, delivery, last mile fraud and theft and so on in the supply chain uh, with the Supply Chain Protection Working Group. So a lot to to know and, and still a lot more for us to learn through good research and development and and collaboration and sharing uh, what we're doing and what seems to be working, uh, what our problems are to drive even further research. So with that, I want to thank uh, our co-host, Tom Ian uh, from Control Tech. Thank you very much for today. Abe Gonzalez, of course, of Bloomingdale's. And, And as always, our producer, Kevin Tran. You know, Again, look for us on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and, and, and upcoming uh, looks possible to be on Google Play and SoundCloud. So everybody have a fantastic week, and look for the next episode of Crime Science. Thank you from Gainesville.
0: Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Crime Science. We also want to thank Bosch again for making this podcast possible. If you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or provide feedback, please email kevin at lpresearch.org. See you next time.